Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name's Jonathan Dunn, and I'm joined as always by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Pet Asbos. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Prepare to become the victim of my sinister technique. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Woof! Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into this current episode, which is a certified cork, we are going to draw your attention to the Patreon that we have for this podcast. We have just uploaded our latest full Patreon-exclusive bonus episode all about the most immersive video game experiences you can have outside of VR and what goes into contributing to that experience. It's a real fruit of an episode, and if you subscribe to the Patreon, you can get access to that, as well as seven other full bonus episodes a whole smattering of deleted scenes and outtakes from episodes past, and access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel, where you can chat with us, our array of special guests, and be at the forefront of the development of the future of the podcast. Patreon.com slash Our3Cents. Do please check it out. So this week we have Minty's second favourite video game of all time. I don't know what it is. Number two. And I can't wait to find out. It's as simple as that. But before we do that, it's time to return to the quiz. But before we do that, it's time oh, to hello. return to the Quizmaster's Challenge. Oh my, the gauntlet. Mm. Now, last week, Jonathan, uh, saw you sitting pretty on, what was it, minus two million points? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Something like that. So you've got, you've got a chance to claw that back with uh, this week's question. It's a fairly simple one. So I, I, I'm rooting for you. I really am. How many points do I get for it? Do you know what? If you get this right, you get as many as you want. Okay. <laughs> you, can, you can specify. So in the year 2000 game Mario Tennis, Nintendo and I believe Camelot needed to create a couple of new characters so that all the established Mario franchise characters could have tennis partners, which meant that Wario... Mario's evil counterpart had a tall, beanpole, purple-draped fellow as part of his team. But my question to you, Jonathan, is why wasn't he called Wooigi? I think <laughs> it is possibly because uh, Wooigi is actually a Japanese derogatory term. So they couldn't do that. So they had to change it to Waluigi. Is that true? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> So not only do I get to decide how many points I get, I get to decide whether or not I got that right or not. <laughs> Super. No, I, I, I'm, I confess I made that up. Okay, right. Well, the answer is because it's a portmanteau of Luigi and uh, the Japanese adjective warui, hence Waluigi, bad Luigi. Ah. There we go. That makes sense. That makes sense. It just it just happened to be a coincidence that bad Mario turned into Wario. Yes. There was an inverted M. And by that same logic, bad Luigi is Waluigi. It's a little bit more unwieldy, but it follows that general principle. So as a consolation prize, Jonathan, we're going to give you two million and two points. <laughs> oh, nice. Excellent. Back in the green, at least. Yeah. So, with absolutely no disrespect, over in the real quiz, <laughs> Chris has got a three-point lead. Minty managed to claw back two points last week. So let's see if, well, see if you can claw back more. Chris, see if you can extend your lead. 
and I'm excited about this round because this is a new one that I've devised. The round is called Finger on the Pulse. You've got to tell me what my heart rate is right now. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> this round is actually going to test your knowledge of established video game series and see how you're keeping up with the times. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a video game franchise and you need to tell me what the latest game in that series is to be released according Ooh. to Wikipedia. Okay. Okay. So these are games that have been released, not games that haven't. Spin-offs, remakes, and remasters are included. Basically, anything that contains the name of the series in its title counts. But okay. expansions and DLC packs, they don't count. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to shake things up a bit with the scoring with this one. Okay. <laughs> if you get the answer right, you get two points. Oh. If you're not sure, you can request the release date of the latest game as a clue. But if you take that clue, you'll only get one point. But okay, depends how confident you are, doesn't it? Okay. Ooh, okay. You've got three questions each. Okay. Starting with... Chris. I'm ready. Please can you tell me what the latest game in the Sonic franchise is? Ooh, I think there's been about 10 spin-offs that I'm not going to think of. I, I'm sure this is wrong. I'm going to say Sonic Forces, but I think that's miles out. I don't know when Sonic Forces was released, but it is not the correct answer, I'm afraid. The correct answer, released on the 1st of November 2019, is Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games Tokyo oh, 2020. God, I never uh-huh. would have got that. Never would have got that. You bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Minty, over to you. Yeah. Your franchise is Mario Kart. I'm going to say... Oh, oh, no, it's... um, Ah, what's it called? It's you set all the shit up in your kitchen and you race around (laughs) your house. What's it called? Mario Kart Home Circuit. That is the correct answer yes, Minty, congratulations oh. he's done it that's really really good well done i i think i would have guessed uh mario kart tour i was about to well done minty okay chris let's see if you can get this one okay castlevania there hasn't been a new one in a while oh no it'll be the one that oh, it'll be that ios one that soft launched and then went away and then it's coming back to apple arcade but it would have Officially counted because it did come out in some territories first. Oh, I don't know what it's called. It's like I assume it's going to be called something like Lament of Innocence or something <laughs> like that. That, that. That's my guess. I, I don't know. Unfortunately, Lament of Innocence is is well, it's not a game. <laughs> you are right. It's Grimoire of Souls, which oh, is the game sake. that is now getting a proper <laughs> Apple Arcade release and uh, released on um, on mobile in 2019, 20th of September. So it's. You know, I, I knew what it was. I just didn't know what it was called. You did. You did. Uh, if I were... Well, if you weren't in the lead, I might have given you a, a, a point for that. But uh, <laughs> Minty? Yeah, I'm ready. Your franchise mm. is Fallout. Oh. Hmm. Oh, it's... um. No, no. That's... that's, that's uh, uh, I'm going to say Fallout 76. Well, congratulations, Minty. That is absolutely goddamn correct. Yeah. <sighs> I was tossing up between that and Fallout. Is it Fallout Bunker, the the mobile game where you shelter? Uh, Fallout Shelter. Shelter. Yeah, but that that came out in uh, 2015, and Fallout 76 came out in November 2018. Chris, your 
third question. You ready? Yes, I am. Call of Duty. Right. I think the last Call of Duty release was probably the standalone version of Warzone. Unfortunately, that is not the correct answer. What is? Yeah, the correct answer is Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, uh, which uh, came out... On the 13th of November, 2020. Oh, oh, zero points. Well, you know what? A chance for a bonus point. What else came out on that same day, 13th of November, 2020? Oh, I haven't a clue. I honestly don't know. Well, the correct answer to that was my daughter. Never mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you failed on every front there, Chris. Yeah, okay, sorry. Minty, your last one. Mm. Tales. Okay. Um... Tales of Arise is not out yet. I think that's coming out early next year. Berseria, I think, was a couple of years ago. And there's been a mobile game since that came out. I think I'm going to say Tales of Arise. Tales of Arise is not the correct answer, I'm afraid. Ah, okay. uh, it is, yes, it is the next game to come out. It's coming out on the 10th of September this year. You are absolutely right in your in your thinking uh, that Tales of Berseria came out 2016 and a mobile game did come out in between, which is Tales of Crestoria, which came out on the 16th of July 2020, which was the correct answer. Ah, there we go. But hey, let's be honest, Minty, you've uh, played an absolute blinder there where you have now one point in the lead uh, with 86 points to Chris's 85. Unbelievable. Ooh. Back at it. I'm going to quit. I'm so unhappy. (laughs) (laughs) So, what have we played this week? Minty, uh, when you kick us off, have you found something more enjoyable uh, to occupy (laughs) your time than the tawdry affair that was your playtime with Skyward Sword HD? I have, yes. Yes. Uh, A couple, actually. A mobile game. I say a mobile game. A game on on, on the tablet called Exponential Idol. That sounds like an idle game. It is an idle game. (laughs) And instead of buying things like woodcutters, stonecutters, metal cutters, and like, I don't know, house cutters and all the rest of it to give you more uh, money and give you more resources that you can then use to build other things, it strips it down and you're just buying functions and just letters, which then get plugged into equations, which then make big number go up (laughs) you are playing as i think a student working out maths for a professor and you're and you're and you're buying dx or x or x equals y plus two that sort of thing so the context and just the idea of what you're doing is virtually non-existent and i'm not sure the maths is even like real or anything but like i said big number go up so i'm happy and i'm having a great, lovely time with it it's just a nice thing oh, to good i'm glad yeah just a nice thing to wind down the day with sort of strips away all of the things that have really plagued idle games in the past few years such as um graphics <laughs> and all that sort of thing i'm assuming the sequel is just going to have one single button that says click here to win <laughs> Yeah, But also, in other gaming news, I've also picked up Night Dive's remaster of Quake. Ooh. Oh, lovely Ooh. stuff. How is it? Oh, it's so good. I never picked up Quake the first time around because um, I didn't have anything to play it on. But wowee, it's so good. I'm, re- I'm really, really enjoying it. Like, it's tricky. And um, I'm, I, I, some some bits are a little bit tough, but that's why we have such things as the quick save button. But it's oh, <laughs> it's really lovely. It's 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 moody. It's it controls really well. It looks fantastic. 
I mean, obviously it's Doom, but better, um, <laughs> yeah. I guess, technically in, in that respect. But um, for me, it's like, it's like Doom 64 1.5. It's got that sort of, it's got, it's got that sort of medieval atmosphere, isn't it? That instead of being like a heavy metal and, and like big boxes and barrels and shit that you got in the Doom games, it's got that sort of almost, almost maudlin, gloomy atmosphere. And it's, oh, I love it. I love it. I think it's really cool that Night Dive have now established themselves as the porting house to go to for a very specific subset of games because they've been responsible now for the, the Doom 64 port, the, the Turok ports. They did Shadow Man that came out recently. Oh, yeah. They're the ones doing the, the exhumed remaster from the, the classic Saturn and PlayStation 1 game. Oh, yeah. like they, they really do treat these properties with care, but it's clear they have a very specific niche that they are interested in that kind of like mid-90s gaming that is just very well thought of, but not necessarily that well represented in modern times that to actually be able to play these games properly again. Is it them doing System Shock as well? Yep, yeah, they're doing System Shock. There go. They remastered uh, the old point-and-click Blade Runner game as well. Oh, yeah. Or I think they're in the process of doing that. Like, it's, it's all stuff that's almost been lost to time that was, you know, really well regarded, but just doesn't have any easy avenue to play anymore unless you're going to rig up DOSBox on your computer or something uh, and have things across all platforms running as well as it always seems to is, is really impressive well that's downloading now there we go <laughs> Chris how about you what have you played in this last week well the the games odyssey has been put on hold a little bit as I've been prepping to go back to school for the new academic year Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Know, it is what Mindset, it is said mate I've still been downloading and compiling games I just haven't had any time to actually play them so the library's going up but the played count is not not helping bring it down that doesn't sound like you <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't sound like the way you usually live your life <laughs> so instead in my downtime this week i have played a few smaller things including the wonderful puzzle game a monster's expedition oh hello yes. yeah a, a big thank you to gene limbrick friend of the show for turning me on to mm. this one he sort of messaged a few times saying i think you're going to enjoy this <laughs> and then when i hadn't picked it up just sent me a screenshot of him sending me the money to buy it <laughs> so he, he forced my hand and i'm very very grateful because it's it's a really good spatial puzzle game i guess it's closest to something like sokoban or any of those like box pushing puzzlers where you're just moving things to try and make a path from from one place to another and in this game you're you're basically building small bridges between distinct floating islands that you have to use tree trunks to sort of knock down and push and they'll they'll only roll certain ways and they only flip certain ways and everything else but he he really recommended it to me highly because it sort of uses a a style of organic learning that's close to the witness yeah and so that outside of the very first minute nothing else is then explained and you just forge forwards using logic and and using assumption and just your old noggin to kind of kind of figure out how to bridge progressively more challenging gaps and it really has hooked me like honestly after the first hour i had that bug where i'd hit my head against the puzzle for 30 minutes like making no progress turn the console off to give myself a break and then three minutes later I've turned the switch back on because I've had a little <laughs> flash of inspiration that's like yeah but that could work and <laughs> even if those flashes don't guarantee success they they prove that this game stimulates something cognitively again in a similar way to how the witness lived with you know, me the whole time I was playing it that it's it's like your focus even when it's not your direct focus so that's that is really really good yeah I've also played the demo for WarioWare on the Switch, which I think you have as well, Jonathan. Oh, uh, yeah. I still hate the character design. As I said back when, when we did our E3 recap, but I can appreciate now when actually playing it how the different character abilities actually have applications in the micro games themselves. 
And yeah. for the most part, this gimmick actually works reasonably well within the WarriorWare format. Yeah. And, and I was surprised that to actually play it, the theming of the levels and the stages feels right. You know, the UI feels good. It's probably the most WarioWare title in terms of pure aesthetics since the DS version. The only thing I'm not crazy about outside of the way the characters are drawn is that it doesn't quite nail the pacing of each game for me. Yeah. And the, the Game Boy Advance title obviously was on my list. And it, it always felt in that game like every single micro game had been tested a hundred thousand times over to capture just the right amount of madcap panic and energy, whether you were sniffing up snot or whether you were breaking blocks or whatever you were doing. And the mini games here, all of them are just a little bit longer. And and by longer, they're only a second or two beyond what you might be used to, which is probably to give you that extra bit of character specific thinking time because you have to think about how you approach it differently. But it's enough to make the game feel just a little bit off and a little bit too slow coupled with the fact that this is now a widescreen HD game. And I, I think the screen space, along with these small, like chibi characters, accents that extra time too, because the, the physical time it takes to get from one side of the screen to the other to do your objective is also just that tiny bit longer. Yeah. Whereas on the on the Game of Advance, your character took up, took up sometimes a third of the screen. Now you are a tiny, tiny dot, essentially buzzing around like a fly. So it's it's a little bit different, but I am pleasantly surprised that it's not shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the trailer did nothing for me. But at the moment, if if it comes out and reviews say there's enough game there, I'll, I'll happily pick it up and give it a proper play when it launches in. It's only a few weeks now, isn't it? What were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it was a very smart thing for them to do to release a demo because often with with the demo, it either puts the nail in the coffin or, you know, <laughs> absolutely sells you on something. I mean... I do not know why they released a demo for Balan Wonderworld. <laughs> Let the game do the talking. Exactly. Well, Let yeah. the game do the talking. But I think in the case of WarioWare, I think I didn't really read up much in terms of um, what other people were thinking about the game, but judging by what we thought and saying, oh, it doesn't look, really look very WarioWare. It looks like it's a bit sluggish and a bit too, I don't know, whatever. But if they're responding to that, say, well, give it a go. Uh, and then make up your mind because they are taking it in a new direction it might be the start of a whole different direction that they're going to go further into but i agree with you that i was i was pleasantly surprised i'm almost certainly not going to pick it up unless i don't know basically unless you tell me that i have to <laughs> <laughs> i think it's what it comes down to but i mean like, i i picked up wario wear gold on the 3ds and i played through kind of just like the main story mode and i know there's so much more in the game and you can try and get high scores and all the little micro games which is what i did in like uh the original one but i just didn't i don't know it didn't it didn't grab me in the same way that you know it, it used to and i think i i think that that's that will be the case with with the switch one as well yeah, yeah. i think I'll, I'll play it and then be like well essentially i've just paid 40 50 quid to play you know a handful of obviously tiny little games yeah. and that's it you know who knows who knows it, it might it might have something else that elevates it even higher and we'll, we'll see we'll see and we'll i'm see. yeah i'm looking for I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about it and uh and seeing what the uh what the critics make of it the other thing in contrast that i have dabbled with this week is tetris beat on apple arcade oh yeah and of course yeah i i resubscribed to the service purely to try this title out as it's not available anywhere else <laughs> and mm -hmm. it's elevator pitch that it was merging tetris explicitly this time with a rhythm game seemed too far up my alley to ignore <laughs> <laughs> and it's okay yeah <laughs> I, I think it's okay like I, i've played it quite a bit and the main mode i think it's called like just the drop mode 
ask that you drop your pieces on beat, which is, you know, that's that's fine. That's that's the rhythm element. You're trying to place them in time with the music. And you can keep a combo going as long as you can keep up these rhythmic drops, which is which is fine. But there are lots of problems with this. And I don't know if some of these are to do with how I am playing it. I'm I'm on a an iPad from a few years ago. I'm using a, a Bluetooth controller. I don't know if these are, are adding problems. But the window in which you are graded on your drops is really loose to the point where drops that are not in time can still be counted as perfect. And for the musically inclined, drops that are placed intentionally offbeat, because that is something the game recognises. So in terms of offbeat, I'm saying like one and two and three and four. They're often counted as being not quite on beat as opposed to perfectly offbeat. So the, the scoring is fucked, essentially. Just it, it doesn't work <laughs> as it should. You know, and, and that thing about the external controllers, that it supports a pad is is good, because I wouldn't want to play this game with a touchscreen. But it doesn't support one of the most basic pieces of functionality in a Tetris game, which is being able to buffer a piece's movement before it appears. So what I mean by that is generally you play a Tetris game, you can see what block is coming next. And if you know you want it placed hard left or hard right in the well, you can hold down the direction on the D-pad ready for it to do that. And it will just fly across as soon as it appears. And in this game, if you're holding the button down, nothing happens until you lift up your finger and then reapply it. And it's it's just sloppy. It's just really sloppy implementation. Like perhaps that'll get patched. Perhaps all these things will get patched because it is a, a digital live service game, I guess. But it was annoying for me that, you know, the, the real standout of this game is meant to be the rhythmic element, which I don't think works particularly well. And the basics of just being able to control it as I think you should be able to, having played a lot of very good Tetris games in the last few years, it doesn't quite work either. So yeah, a few little quirks that could be fixed. I think the, the core idea is good, but the execution is not so good. So at the moment, it has not been worth my £5 resub fee, I have to say. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. That yeah. is a shame. I, uh, I'm i sorry to hear that. I, I did give it a, a little go myself. And I mean, the, 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 the thing about the control buffering thing is something that obviously just totally passed me by because it's not something i i i noticed because i don't play uh i you know i don't play tetris with the the, the level of uh skill um that, that, you, that you do and also like doing the stuff in time with the music i was actually playing it while I sat outside in a pub i didn't have like the best audio experience but i could hear the music yeah so i don't think i probably noticed the the slight sloppiness that was there as well because you know there's people talking and the world existing and, and all of those horrible things but what i have played on apple arcade is a monster's expedition Yay. i was really really pleased to see that it was on apple arcade and it's, it's really really good yeah i mean like like yeah. you said it's got that sort of organic learning process type thing that the witness has and there was a moment when i'd sort of been playing it in bed and gone to sleep uh, i got you know i got stuck on something thought i'll solve this i'm just gonna do some coloring in and listen to a podcast and go to sleep and in the morning i've got it back up you know opened it up again and then all of a sudden just just saw the just saw the solution i was like oh there yeah. it is and that that like sleeping on a puzzle and seeing it in a fresh light in the morning that is something that I haven't had since The Witness. And that was really, really cool. Yeah. That was really, really cool. I think it's got 
really lovely atmosphere to it. The music's really nice. Um, it's got lovely writing. It's very, very charming in, in sort of the, the, the loose premise that it's uh, sort of set up as like you're a monster. These islands are, are sort of the remnants of a museum of humanity from like 500 years in the past to him, but 500 years in the future to us. So uh, you've got these lovely little exhibits of things like like an exercise bike and then the little plaque will read like, laundry stand and, and then a really nice little uh nice little bit of flavor text it's uh it's, it's very very nice it's um i found myself sort of screenshotting stuff and sending it to to sammy my wife because uh yeah that gave her a bit of a giggle as well and i must have really enjoyed the handoff functionality of apple arcade like i play a bit on my phone in bed or on the ipad on the sofa or on my mac when i'm trying to work and it's uh, it's a very very clever and seamless experience and it's it works yeah it works so so well and for a game like this sometimes just having that slight change of perspective can help you to see something that you hadn't seen before so yeah, yeah i do quite enjoy switching up my my device for that i've enjoyed just steadily chipping away at it really it's been um it's been lovely really really lovely there are two other games that I've mainly been playing this week. The first is over on the PlayStation 5, and that is Mario Golf. Oh, no, sorry, it's not. It's uh, Everybody's Golf. The better Mario Golf. <laughs> Which is everything that Mario Golf Super Rush wasn't. It's really, really good. It's bright and colourful to look at, loads of customization options, loads of RPG light elements in terms of levelling up your clubs and getting experience and unlocking other bits of functionality and features like driving a golf cart or a helicopter or swimming or fishing. And it's just, it's a real joy to play. Like, there's a few little things that just give it that elevation over Super Rush. One of the things you mentioned, Chris, was the lack of ceremony in yeah. Super Rush because you're always on a time limit. If you land an incredible shot, it's just sort of breezed over as you rush onto the next hole. But in everybody's golf, you get loads of replays from different angles, fireworks going off, big celebrations. It makes you feel wonderful. It's really lovely. It feels very focused on the player experience and maximizing that. Whereas Super Rush just felt quite bare bones. It was like it it was functional and it worked, but there was none of that kind of Nintendo magic to give it that charm that makes you feel good playing it. Just just a little detail in everybody's golf is there's just a little sound effect when you sink a putt. The sound of the ball rattling into the hole, that comes out of your controller. And that <laughs> is unbelievably satisfying every single time. Yeah, It's great. It's such a great game. Uh, it's delivered exactly what I've wanted from Mario Golf. And it's got nothing to do with the increased resolution or the increased hardware power of the PlayStation. It's purely down to its gameplay and design decisions. Like Nintendo really could and, and should have taken several lessons from what Clapands did with, with this game. Like I, d I don't know at what point when they, they were making Mario Golf Super Rush. And the only other comparison point for it in the industry in terms of doing any sort of market research is to look at everybody's golf. And I don't know what point they just went, yeah, this is better because <laughs> it's not. <laughs> they need to do more. They, they made a, a golf game for Apple Arcade, didn't they? Clap Hands Golf. Yes, yes. I haven't played that yet, actually. So that's, that's a newer game than everybody's golf uh, because I think yeah. either they've just done that as their own thing or they've now parted ways with Sony after working with them for years. I'm not sure, but... Mm. Maybe that will justify my £5 a month as opposed to Tetris Beat if I install that. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Give it a go. Give it a go. Let me know. Let's play together. Clap yeah. hands golf. It's downloading now. <laughs> <laughs> the other game, and this will probably come as a, a, probably a bit of a surprise actually to most people who know me and my gaming habits, but I've actually picked up a game on the Nintendo eShop, which 
quite against brand is a Metroidvania with lovely <laughs> pixel art that contains roguelike and Souls-like elements to it. Very odd choice for me to pick up. <laughs> it's very out of character. The game's called Astalon Tears of the Earth, or maybe it's Tears of the Earth. I don't know. I suspect it's Tears, not, not because I've been crying the whole time I've been playing it, because I've actually, well, I've been having a fantastic time with it. It was d- described to me with the following sentence. What if all those NES games you played as a child were actually as good as you remembered? And uh, it, it is very much that. It's it's like a NES game made with modern sensibilities, uh, similar in a way to what like Yacht Club did with Shovel Knight or what Sabotage did with uh, The Messenger. It, it's much more reduced, authentically NES experience with Astalon compared to something like The Messenger. It does feel like it could run on the NES. And it's, it's quite a simple setup. It involves quite a few familiar gaming characteristics. So you essentially have a roster of three different characters who each have different abilities, very much like, you know, Lost Vikings or Trine. And you'll need to switch between them to overcome different obstacles throughout this tower that you're trying to ascend. It's got this like roguelike element to it, whereby every time you die, you go back to the beginning of the tower, but you're given the chance to spend your currency on upgrading your characters or unlocking new mechanics and and stuff like that to help you go further next time. And there's also like a real Souls-like edge to it in how you unlock shortcuts and warp points to help you get back to where you were a bit quicker once you've found those, you know, little roots and stuff. And that's just really, really good. It's just uh, they've combined all of these elements that aren't that original into something so so well that it feels you know more original than than perhaps it is and like gameplay wise it's fun to play you've got a sword fighter an archer and a wizard and you learn the enemy movement attack patterns and you slowly get used to that and how to beat them it is hard i will say that it's, it's quite hard especially at the start like because you don't really have a way to recover health very easily or frequently so you basically have to see how far you can get on one batch of health hope that you you know unlock a shortcut or something to to slowly make progress through the tower and there are bonfires scattered throughout the tower where which are like your sort of base camps and for certainly the early part of the game it's only when you go to a base camp that you can switch characters so you can't switch them on the fly at, at that point anyway and I, I remember thinking i was like oh i don't see the point in these because after a while you do unlock the ability to switch between the characters whatever you want and then i was like well these these campfires mean nothing because you can't like rest at them and recover health but then i thought well if you don't die then you don't ever get that chance to to level up and, and manage that side of the game and so yeah it's interesting because like elements like that that might be frustrating in other games you realize actually there's a purpose for this and it's not a negative that i've died actually it's a positive and you know it's uh yeah it's really really good i'm looking forward to playing more of it i think i'm i don't know i feel like i'm pretty close to the end now but it's difficult to tell because i just keep on finding new little paths and new areas and stuff like that that i didn't think were there i ended up going down instead of up in this tower and my goodness stuff (laughs) i would say definitely it's recommended by me if you're looking for a good metroidvania it's interesting because like compared to say ender lilies which i played recently which i also sort of criticize well i criticize for saying it just doesn't do anything new and like i said astalon sort of does the same thing where it combines familiar elements and things that you've seen before but yeah i don't know for whatever reason it, it feels like it's a, it's a much more fulfilling experience playing astalon so yeah i'm really Really glad that that was recommended to me and I'm looking forward to, to finishing it. And then I might get to cracking on with the games that I, I have sat here instead of buying new ones. I've, I've already bought Quake. Like, oh, <laughs> I'm useless. Absolutely hopeless. We're all absolute disasters. Given that, Minty, what's your second favourite video game of all time? Do it. Oh, 
like many of us, I'm not particularly sure. We're in uncharted territory here, aren't we? <laughs> we had Link to the Past for number three. So What's better than that? What on earth are the next two games going to be? Like, everybody's flummoxed. I'm not sure myself, but I'll just start talking and hopefully we'll figure out what it is along the way. This is going to be fun to edit. <laughs> I'm only joking. I know what it is. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> this was my first uh, vaguely imported game and one that will always remind me of my late aunt Patty. She went on holiday to America one year and asked my mum if there was a game that she could bring back that wasn't available in the UK for a Christmas present. There was, and it's my second favourite game of all time. Whenever I think of it or load it up, I am reminded of her and her remarkable life. She was a kind, wise and wickedly funny woman, and I'm so glad this game didn't turn out to be shit and tainted memory. <laughs> Speaking of memory, let's take a moment to remember a time before the internet. The whole world's knowledge at your fingertips. We were late adopters in our house, so despite knowing literally everything about the game that came out before this one, my knowledge of this sequel was non-existent. I miss that. I miss being excited for something, knowing fuck all about it, and taking the punt on it anyway. I'm really terrible for over-researching things. Like, uh, for example, I, I've not put a single second into Blasphemous, oh. but I do know how to beat every single boss and how to unlock the true ending. <laughs> <laughs> Between the two of us, we're absolutely set to go on that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But something else I really miss from my childhood is just is is uh, is, is being small. <laughs> For one incredibly specific reason, right? So uh, I'm six foot tall and I have to sit in every chair in my house the way a robot would. You know, feet on the floor, back straight, soul dripping out my ass. <laughs> I miss when a sofa felt like a bouncy castle and almost like you could get lost in it if you curled up nice and tight into the corner. Game Boy Color poised at just the right angle under the big lamp so you could see what you were doing, enjoying your 400th hour in Pokemon Silver. Oh! There we go. Pokemon Silver. Where to start? Pokemon Silver is a game of remarkable calibre. A game imagined at the time to be the last in the series, and therefore one that was unparalleled in scope with all the stops pulled out, using everything the hardware could muster. It's it's a living, breathing beauty of a game, and I'm coming into this thinking, I'm not going to be able to say that much about it that hasn't already been featured on the podcast fairly recently. But I'm going to try anyway, because it deserves it. Jonathan's already given us a remarkable breakdown of everything that Pokemon Gold did brilliantly, as well as placing it in the context of his own life with links to Backstreet Boys and the Grendel. <laughs> I'm glad the things that I love about this game weren't explored too deeply in your appraisal. So here we go. I booted this game up at 7am on Christmas morning, the year 2000, and got to work on my journey with my lovely new friend, a, a Toto Dial. Ah, uh, yes. Set out onto Route 1, or Route 101, I think it was, uh, in this game, and immediately I saw my first Pokemon. It was a Pidgey. <laughs> That's how it gets you. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay, well, maybe I'll see another one. Uh, maybe I'll see a new one. It was a Rattata. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay, well maybe I'll maybe maybe I'll see a new one when I go into the, the this 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 next little bit over here. Ah, it, it's a uh, it's a geo dude. That's cool. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, a caterpie, a weedle, that sort of thing. So immediately, I wasn't particularly um, I wasn't particularly taken 
in by the fact that uh, there was apparently a hundred new Pokemon in this game. But then it got to past 6pm that evening, and the entire game just darkened slightly, because it was night time. And lights started to pour out of all the windows in all the buildings, and just gave it a really lovely ambience. Like a real feeling of serenity, it was... I'd never seen anything like it before, and it just... it. it blew my tiny mind <laughs> and of course with the arrival of nighttime came the arrival of uh, the first new pokemon that i saw the hoot hoot ah uh, lovely owl hooty mctoot foot it just snowballed from there really uh, i was like okay here are new pokemon let's try and find some new ones i found berries i found pokemon with held items or just all these things that took the experience of pokemon that i'd come to love in pokemon blue and took it to the next level. It was utterly extraordinary thing to play through with no real knowledge of what you were getting into. And the life in this game as well. Like perhaps as a knock-on effect of having the um the day and night cycle, you've also got things that happen daily. Like, no matter where you go, you've got different NPCs showing up. That's um on on a particular day there there might be a hairdresser under Goldenrod City who'll give your Pokemon a haircut to make them more friendly towards you. There's the bug catching contest in the National Park on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. And there's the daily lottery at the radio tower. Some characters, after you beat them, will call you up every now and then and ask for rematches or tell you that there's a there's a swarm of rare Pokemon in the dark cave. <laughs> Every day there's something different to do and it gives the world an organic living feel with a sense of scale that really, really went beyond the diminutive stature of the Game Boy Color. And speaking of scale, Jonathan mentioned when talking about Pokemon Gold that the effects of the late great Satoru Iwata helped squeeze two entire regions into this one small cartridge. There's just, there's just so much to do and being able to revisit Kanto is a real treat especially with the little callbacks to the original games like the poster in the Celadon game corner, <laughs> the power plant being refurbished, being able to visit Red's mum in, in Pallet Town. He says, oh, my son's a Pokemon trainer like you. Have you met him? That sort of thing. The entire post-game just felt like a big basket of Easter eggs. And of course, <laughs> you had the final battle with Pokemon trainer Red at the summit of Mount Silver. Just a wonderful, wonderful capstone to this incredible game. Ultimately, the best thing about Pokemon Silver for me is the fact that it represents the final step before the plunge the future games took into making Pokemon into silly gods. <laughs> I've always thought it was a weird direction to take the franchise in when I first played Pokemon Sapphire. It didn't seem like it was keeping in with the original feel of the early games. That joy of discovery, collection, just becoming a great trainer, they're all sort of gently sidelined in favour of saving the entire world from enormous beasts that could wipe out humanity. That's not what made Pokemon so special and such a joy to play. Not everything needs to be some high-stakes life-or-death adventure. I'm looking at you, Disney's Jungle Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Should have kept legendaries as just big weird things instead of facets of creation and universal constants. I don't need to be able to have the embodiment of time on my team just to feel like a good Pokemon trainer. I don't need to hold a whip and a chair whilst training the being that created the universe. <laughs> I just want to build up a team of six Pokemon. And here they are. Big Blue Crocodile. Angry Rock Monster. <laughs> bird Made of Knives. Oh yeah. Very Large Dragonfly. <laughs> spooky Dog. And Lugia. <laughs> who is my favourite legendary Pokemon. 
I since discovered that Lugia was the only Pokemon created by the writer of the anime. Is that right? And researching further, it reveals a real tragic insight into the life of uh, Takeshi Shudo and how he became so affected by the decisions made regarding this Pokemon by the studio that he created for the second Pokemon movie. Do you know Dr. Lava? He does he does videos, he does articles on sort of Pokemon lore and everything. Right. It's all behind the scenes stuff. Well he's got a really good article on his website that translates and documents this guy's basically his descent to drink and drugs. And it really gives a bit of sweet insight into his creative process before his uh, his untimely death in twenty ten. I've always thought that Lugia seemed a little sad, sort of living on the seabed because a flap of its wings could flatten houses. A strange, powerful and compassionate creature that to me represents the just the, the absolute ideal legendary Pokemon. Right? It doesn't affect the story at all. You stumble across it at the bottom of the Whirl Islands, an optional cave that you can explore towards the end of the main game. The idea that you can stumble across um, such a powerful Pokemon almost by accident, a reward for exploring, is just so much better than being shepherded into subjugating a beastie so the rest of the game can happen nothing really needed or warranted explanation there was no grand justification for why you were going on this journey in terms of law there's no alduin's wall proclaiming the fall of civilization at the hands of team rocket they just needed the shit kicked out of them by you and an unassuming pokemon trainer called lance (laughs) the dragon tamer who a groggy team rocket grunt called absurdly strong after taking a hyper beam to the face in mahogany town (laughs) that moment always stuck with me for some reason probably because it was uncharacteristically harsh for what we'd seen in Pokemon games up to that point. The schemes of Team Rocket I love in this game too. Like The ante has been upped just slightly, and instead of Giovanni just sort of hanging out in a basement or having a business meeting, for reasons unknown, <laughs> he's disappeared and the rest of the team is broadcasting crazy radio signals to force the Magikarp in a lake to evolve and bringing the entire media empire in Johto to its knees in a bid to attract the former leader out of hiding. Couple that with a little legend of the burnt tower, the mystery of the roaming legendary dogs, and the fact that most of this can be missed if you're just gunning to become the champion. It's just utterly packed with legends and lore that just feels very real and quite organic as opposed to just oh you need to know this part of our history because that's going to come up later in the game we're foreshadowing it it's just oh this tower is shorter than the other one because there was a fire anywho sorry to ramble (laughs) it's easy to criticize old games of course particularly when they're part of an expansive and storied franchise like pokemon but i'm not going to the only thing that i will say is that i wish this game had a tougher Elite Four after you beat the Kanto Gym Leaders. To go from Blue's team of Pokemon at the end of uh, the post-game, all in the mid-level 50 range, to go back down to the Elite Four, who went from level 40 to 48, just a little bit disappointing, but that is my only criticism. Harping on about quality of life improvements you want to see in old games is... It's such a waste of time. It's like bobbing for water. (laughs) Mount Silver and Red were the real final bosses of this game, and providing a more than satisfactory closure to what was at the time the entire Pokemon franchise. Nothing in the series will ever come close to it. It's an absolute masterwork. Oh, I absolutely agree. Where was it for you on your list, Jonathan? Uh, seven, I think. Was seven, it? yes. Mm. 
That's some big numbers, Pokemon Gold and Silver. It's extraordinary. It's incredible. You are missing out, Chris. <laughs> it could have easily been my my number two. Could have been my number one, to be honest. It's perfect. I always feel quite disappointed that I didn't play it at the time because I, I, I've never really known why I didn't. No. You know, it, it wasn't that far removed from playing Pokemon Red and putting a lot of time into that and that being such a yeah an important release. And then when Gold and Silver came out, I just never never got it. I don't know what I was doing. Probably having <laughs> sex, unlike the rest of us. <laughs> I think I was a bit too young at the time. <laughs> it, did, it did launch when we were, what, like 11? <laughs> so there we go. That was Minty's second favourite video game of all time, and it was... Pokemon Silver. What an absolute gem. No, sorry, precious metal. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, then please do share the podcast on social media and engage with us on our social media platforms. You can find all of them over on our link tree. That's linktr.ee forward slash O3C podcast. That's Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. I just love it. There's only one thing on there on our TikTok, but if you want to look at it, you can. <laughs> or you can reach out to us individually. You can take us to task on our opinions. You can tell us what you're playing. You can give us recommendations. Anything you want. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, fancy supporting us even more than just by, you know, listening to the podcast and sharing it with your friends, then head over to patreon.com slash our three cents and you can have a look at some of the amazing perks on offer for some pennies of, of subscription. We'd love that and we'd be very honoured. And please do join us next week when I'll be rounding off our collective number two with a big old contraction of my anus. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not putting that in. Oh, go on. All right, I will. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsor. Oh boy. I can't wait for Future History 101 today. I hear Prof. Timesworth is going to teach us about World War VI. Gather round, students. It is time to learn. Podford University, where history and future are the same class. Available on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. Hi, Stu. Hi, Luke. Do you fancy doing a podcast covering every segment of every episode of the beloved 90s cartoon Animaniacs? No, I hate Animaniacs. Join me, Luke, the Warner lover, and him, Stu, the Warner resistor, for Animaniacs, covering every segment of every episode of the hit 90s cartoon Animaniacs, as well as its many spin-offs, including comics, video games, and the movie, not to mention the recent reboot. It's gonna be explainy to the max. Oh... 